Welcome to the LabOp Leaders Series, a showcase of global change agents and experts in healthcare and laboratory management. Here's your host, LabOp Global Founder, Robert Farias. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to Beatrice Achan from Uganda. A trained dental surgeon turned medical mycology expert, Beatrice helps us better understand the role of medical mycology. She provides an overview of diagnostic techniques in the field, and shares the news of an exciting new initiative in the space of education for those interested in medical mycology as a career. For those of you who have not had the pleasure of traveling to Uganda, the source of the occasional noise in the background are marabou storks enjoying a day in Kampala. I hope you enjoy this episode. We'd like to welcome Beatrice Achan to, uh, to the Lab Up Leader Series. Good morning, Beatrice. How are you? Good morning, Robert. I'm very well. Thank you. Great. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us. So, uh, Beatrice, we'd like to learn a little bit more about uh, how you got started in the overall field and to get a better sense about, about part of your background and your, your academic uh, past before you got into your profession. Okay. Thank you very much um, for this question. So I started um, my journey in the lab profession as early as 2002 when I was an undergraduate student um, in my Bachelor of Dental Surgery degree. So we learned in medical microbiology, specifically pathogenesis of different um, infectious diseases. I was really intrigued at how much detail there was in understanding how the organisms would cause infection right from the time when it's acquired from a source which may be exogenous or it could be from within the host, um, him or herself, and then moves up to the point when it would cause disease, and then um, displayed the symptoms and signs in this particular person. So from that time, I thought, I, I think I'm really interested in understanding this kind of um, um, very detailed information when learning about an infectious disease. And that is when I chose um, pathology uh, as uh, an upcoming career when I finished my um, dental surgery degree. And that's why I ended up in the lab. You, did you end up practicing as a dental surgeon along the way, Beatrice, as well? Oh, yes, I did. So I had to successfully complete the degree. This was a five-year degree in the first place. And then I did internship at the National Referral Hospital, an unaffiliated hospital. And after that, I practiced for a couple of years before I got an opportunity to join the university and particular department of microbiology as faculty. So that is when it was easy then for me to transition into the laboratory and profession. Great, thank you. Um, and we welcome the uh, we welcome the, the live nature of the background noises as well, Beatrice. That's a it's a nice original touch. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. So the uh, just from that point on, so you've you've made a decision to get back into back into studies at that point. Uh, were you were you working part time and then studying for the next portion portion of your advancement? Were you sort of dropping the work career and getting back into full-time studies? How did it progress from your DDS completion uh, back into further studies? Yeah, so when I got, um, um, when I was working in, uh, the, by that time, 
I was now working as a dental surgeon, there were opportunities to join the university as faculty, particularly and uh, specifically as um, teaching assistants in the Department of Medical Microbiology and other departments. So I joined the Department of Medical Microbiology, but that was a contract appointment which in which someone had to advance their career to become a permanent staff of the university. So I was teaching as well as doing my first degree, uh, first um, master's degree in, in the scheduler profession, the master of medicine and microbiology. That was in 2008. Great. And uh, from your master's in medical microbiology, what's the, uh, what was the next step for you from there? So that's why I really now, I think I got into the rhythm of the laboratory profession. In my second year, which was 2009, of the Master of Medicine in Microbiology, I met um, a group of U.S. researchers who are working already at Macquarie University at the Infectious Disease Institute, and they were working on cryptococcal meningitis. At that time, I already had a topic for my dissertation in TB, which was to evaluate a rapid diagnostic test for diagnosis of multidrug-resistant tuberculosis. But I picked a lot of interest in learning about cryptococcal meningitis from the U.S. researchers who were here. And I asked them if I could be part of their study as a graduate student, not to write as a dissertation because I already had a dissertation topic. And they were really happy to take me on. And I think that's when I, I got very interested not in microbiology only, but in medical mycology, fungal diseases. In I started um, meeting a lot of mentors in the field of fungal diseases. So that was the, the beginning of my mycology journey now. And so did those uh, mycology studies take place in Uganda or were they overseas? Yes, they were in Uganda. So this was a study on cryptococcal meningitis in HIV AIDS patients who are being Infectious Disease Institute, and the laboratory analysis of the specimens from these patients, which is where I got a lot of interest and look at the different types of cells and how the body would respond to such an infection was in our clinical microbiology lab in the Department of Medical Microbiology. And that is where I played a core role in the project of liaising what was happening in the clinic and what was happening in the laboratory um, work. Right. Although it was a collaborative um, work, I'm sorry, um, in which part of the time I got an award to talk to the University of Minnesota to to also um, have an experience in the lab from the other side. Okay, so you spent, was that time in Minnesota? Was it time funded by University of Minnesota? Yes, it was funded by the clinical trial. The time was called the CODE trial. Um, was the cryptococcal meningitis optimal? ART timing, when would I ART start? But yes, was the University of Minnesota's um, grant funding that took me to University of Minnesota. And how long were you there for? It was a very short time. It was six weeks, but it, it felt like it was just two days. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I had a great time when I got there. It was cold. Um, I thought it was cold, but it was already summer. So everyone thought uh, I was in good schools. Then after a couple, of, you know, just one week, I, I began to enjoy the place because then had learned a lot, had um, made a lot of friends in the different in the different laboratories that I've gone to. And time just moved very fast, but it was a very rewarding experience. Right. 
And so from that experience at the University of Minnesota, what was next for you? I I then came back to Uganda. So while I was at the University of Minnesota, I I dropped, I would like to say I optimized, okay, an assay, which we later published and called it a resource-limited assay for antifungal susceptibility testing. Um, the idea of developing this assay for use in um, resource-limited settings like Uganda was so that we could um, eliminate some of the reagents that were still um, maintaining optimum results. So I did that, and I got great results from the University of Minnesota. Then I came back to Uganda to try and reproduce um, that very test and use it for patients who have been reported an infectious disease institute. And it was successful. And I wrote up that work and got my first grant, um, which was for culture awarded from here, which was called the Missile Mepi Grant. And I, that grant um, helped me to move forward as, a, as the next step was to which I didn't know was coming um, sooner than later and got an opportunity then to go to the UK to do a formal um, Master of um, Master of Medical Mycology, Master of Research in Medical Mycology and Pharmacology as well as a PhD in the universities. So a lot of things happened at that time. But yeah, certainly. certainly that's a <clears throat> that's a lot that's a lot of change from uh, from starting off as a dental surgeon, I imagine. Uh, how did the, <laughs> how did the uh, how was the experience in the UK and where was the experience in the UK? My first experience in the UK was in Scotland at the University of Aberdeen. Um, I got there in February, January, February. It was really, really cold, <laughs> and I, I I thought I was cold in Minnesota, but yeah, then I realized. This was really what it meant to be cold. But I actually enjoyed the cold weather somehow very much because well, all you have to do is put on jackets and uh, if it's snowing, um, go before the snow you know, started melting. And um, in terms of the work in the lab, was, it was great. I had two different types of projects that would later lead up to my MS degree as well as coursework. And that was... Um, Passing the embrace was the prerequisite for me to get the PhD scholarship. Although the Wellcome Trust Strategic Award for Medical Microbiology and Phenomenology, which was funding me, uh, had already put the two degrees together to start with the award. But I had to successfully complete that, which I did in February of the following year. That was now 2014. And then 2014, March, 1st of March, I started the PhD studies at Newcastle University, which is in the northeast of England. And it was really good. Um, almost four or five years in the UK was really a good time for me that I always um, look forward to the UK. And so when you completed your studies in the UK, uh, what, what were the next steps for you? So apart and overall, objective of the Wellcome Trust um, Strategic Award Program for Medical Mycology was to have as um, the exceptionally talented clinician scientists from developing countries study in the UK, but then come back to developing countries to help in the fight against fungal disorders. So when I finished, I, I, I honored that um, objective. And also I still had my job 
my faculty job at the university as a lecturer. So I came back to the university, but as I was coming back, I was able to get what I would call an entry grant, and this was from NACHA for the USNH grant, which has been administered at Macquarie University. So I finished in 2018, June, that's when I was in Macquarie, and in 2018, August, I started work post my PhD now at Macquarie University, and this was based on family business. Great. So were you, so in addition to doing your research on fungal disease, you were faculty as well? Is that what I, what I heard, Beatrice? I'm sorry. Yes. So I do have a faculty position. Since I joined the university when I finished, uh, when I um, started as a teaching assistant in 2018, I successfully progressed and became lecturer. And yes, so I do have a faculty position as well as I do my research at the university. So mycologists are not uh, are not encountered very frequently in in Uganda in particular. So can you give us the experience of being a mycologist there? Because I'd imagine you're solicited for quite a quite a lot given the given the needs and the demand relative to the number of professionals in the space. Yes, so mycology is still an underrepresented field, but it's rapidly evolving in Uganda. If I look at Macquarie University. As an institution, I am um, one of the very few people, actually I was the first formally trained medical mycologist at Macquarie University, but we do have other um, sister departments other than the Department of Medical Mycology, where we also have people trained in medical mycology. We do have a colleague from the University of Manchester, who is at the Infectious Disease Institute, that's also um, the institute also belongs to Macquarie University, and we also have people been doing research in fungal disease. Minus um, formal training in mycology um, at Infectious Disease Institute, so we do have this working group where we call ourselves um, mycologists or the fungal interest group. But it's true that we do still have very limited number of um, formally trained medical mycologists. At University and generally in sub-Saharan Africa. So speaking of that, Beatrice, let's talk a little bit about the about the medical mycology field and the um, and the nature of that field and the types of roles that they play, uh, specifically in, not only in Uganda but I guess in sub-Saharan Africa more broadly. Um, can you describe yeah. for us, from a medical mycology perspective, the types of issues you'd be focused on relative to mm -hmm. other infectious disease specialists? Yeah, so um, so a medical mycologist is looking at fungal diseases. Okay, I'll go back to the basics of the definition. We have different groups of microorganisms. We have bacteria, we have parasites, we have viruses, and then we have fungi. So medical mycologists focus on that. And what would a medical mycologist do in Uganda? Teaching. Okay, so as, as I'm employed by the university, that's the first thing I'll talk about. <laughs> teaching um, teaching other students medical mycology, that's a very fast um, job description. But also a part of that is diagnosis, clinical diagnosis for patient um, specimens. So that is one thing. In fact, that area is still very limited um, because for every regional referral lab, there should be at least an expert, and that is not yet there at the moment. So that's a very um, clear um, area at the moment. Other 
this is where agriculture will play an important role in the industry, okay? like the biotechnology industry development or um, developing new diagnostic techniques, or even just the food industry, the you know, production of wines, production of um, you know, bread, the baker's yeast, um, and so forth. So the medical microbiologists generally, in terms of work, the description or the principles of work is similar to other organisms. The difference there is that they're focused on these specific organisms, eukaryotic organisms, very close to us as humans. And um, it's also a bit unique to mycologists because um, most of the diseases that we're looking at are in people who are severely immunocompromised. So much so that most of the people, um, sometimes fungal diseases are described as diseases of the deceased already. So it needs one to be very keen and um, to meticulously look out for um, evidence of infection in this person to, to make a, an accurate diagnosis. So let's talk about the diagnostic process if we can, Beatrice, in the, in the mycology sense. So um, what, what we would see commonly as we enter in laboratories would be some oftentimes point-of-care disease-specific tools that people are using, for example, whether it's to identify the presence of HIV, um, in some cases to identify TB, identify malaria. Can you describe the diagnostic mm -hmm. process for, for in general uh, for some of the areas of mycology? Yeah, so um, in my culture, we still have what I call the conventional diagnostic methods, and this comprise of microscopy, so different microscopy-based techniques, use of the potassium hydroxide, 10 to 30 percent. You can vary that concentration depending on the amount of clarity you want. Um, you can, uh, one can actually do also other index, so that you can have a direct microscopy technique like you know, potassium hydroxide. The India is staying. This is um, staying this year's article for encapsulated um, cryptical casting from someone suspected of having cryptical communities. We can also have what we call an indirect um, microscopic technique like the lactobinocotton stain or the lactofaxin um, stain, which is used to look at the morphology of mold structures but which have grown already on culture media in many other techniques. We also have culture-based techniques. So culture-based techniques can be on general media. The most common medium being used in the mycology lab is a sacred dextrose But we can also have more differential stroke identification media, like the chromogenic um, candida ega, which, um, which the candida species will be differentiated based on the, the color of the colonies that they form on this medium. So we have those, and then we also have the histopathological stains. When one is doing histopathological stains, they're looking at the presence of the fungi in the particular tissue that has been sectioned. And this could, uh, can be using, again, different types of stains, but the general um, description is that you pick a particular tissue and you look at it. It will give you, it will not tell one what the species are, and give an idea of the genus, okay, based on the morphology, but you will never be able to say the species. So you look at the organism and you're also able to see how the host um, responded to that particular fungus in the tissues. So those are those are the, um, the 
more conventional diagnostic techniques, which are still very much being used in mycology in many settings, especially in the developing countries. And then we have sorry, the more... Yes, please. Uh, sorry, please continue. My apologies. Yes, right. And then we have the more uh, um, recent um, diagnostic techniques. We're seeing more um, molecular-based assays. Okay, so looking at the nucleic acids of this particular fungus, you can either use, um, you know, fungus uh, species-specific primers, or you can just use primers, which are going to say they're fungi here, or they are no fungi in this particular um, specimen. Or we can use serological techniques and looking at antibody or look at do an antigen detection assay. Looking at a particular um, component of the fungus in that particular um, specimen. And um, there are also more um, more well-known techniques. So in terms of uh, more recent updates, we have, for example, the knowledge of assay which is also being used and with increasing um, availability, mostly still in the developed countries, um, but they are coming into play more and more regularly, hopefully we'll also get them in the developing um, country settings. Yeah, so the way to think of it is we have what we call the traditional methods or the conventional methods, and then the more modern day techniques. Modern day techniques can also include the point of catches, sorry, I forgot to mention that we have talked about. Um, we're using that about encryptable communities, um, even Panda and um, Aspergillus. We can take that to the bedside of the patient and say, I'm able to take that antigen, I'm able to see um, the antibody response in this particular patient and say, this is the organism. But we still use our culture technique very much because it enables us to perform antifungal susceptibility testing. So choosing a particular technique depends on what you want in this particular patient. Beatrice, if you were to classify, because when we look at the, um, and, and I appreciate that you brought up some of the point of care testing that's, taking, that's available now and some of the rapid tests, I should say. Uh, yeah. is, it, is it fair to say that the, the medical mycologist is a little bit like the, the diagnostic detective? Uh, you get a few less automated tools <laughs> um, and, and you have to do a bit more digging and a bit more interpretation of your results. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yes, in terms of clinical clinical mycology, okay? So that that's the practice of clinical mycology where you get a specimen, but you have to make your interpretation based on what you know about the patient, okay? Not just by looking at the organism. For example, if you found aspergillus in a spectrum specimen, okay? Many times, because aspergillus is common, in the, you know, it's, in, it's in the area, it's ubiquitous, right? There is a common mistake of people saying that, no, this must be a contaminant vis-a-vis -a, -vis a pathogen. So that is when the clinical judgment now comes in. When do you call it a pathogen? And when do you call it um, a contaminant? So there are many factors to look at, especially um, one difference that comes out or stands out in my ecology is the definition of an invasive fungal disease. If we're looking at Bacterial infections, for example, a systemic disease, we know you can have a local infection, you can have an infection which is going to a specific site, and then you can have it systemic. But in mycology, when you say this is an invasive fungal disease, there are at least three groups of characters um, that you have to look out for. 
was the host at risk, okay? So if this aspergillus, for example, is being isolated from blood, what are the host risk factors that are common in this patient? One of them being neutropenia. Is that something that stood out or when the patient's blood um, is worked out, do we see that the patient has um, neutropenia? So the host um, risk factor has to be present. You've isolated the organism in the, let's say, um, in, in the culture or when doing a histopathological stain. So that would be factor number two. And then number three would be some of these invasive fungus can also be looked at um, using another diagnostic or radiological technique for imaging. Okay, So one is looking at the chest of someone who they think has um, aspergillus um, you know, pneumonia. And they see as you know a sign of that on the X-ray, on the chest X-ray. So there are many, there are many things that you have to look out for or investigate before you can say yes, this is a cause of a you know a disease in this person vis-a-vis um, being a colonizer, okay, which is living harmless. We all could just be um, a contaminant coming from the outside. So that's I think that's one thing that really stands out. Medical myology. Most times, if I'm thinking of contaminants, and then you have to make a, a good clinical judgment as like, no, this is a pathogen. Right. Well, thank you for that, Beatrice. And so let's move on to the concept of um, those interested in looking at the mycology field uh, and the path that they need to take. I'm curious from your perspective, um, what's happening on the ground at the moment that uh, there are there new opportunities for people to undertake the studies? Um, certainly not everyone will have the opportunities to, to take on the experiences you had uh, to gain that expertise. Mm -hmm. So what's, is there, are there any developments on the ground that are going to help people access this type of education going forward? Yes, there, there have been in the recent years, there have been many developments going on. Um, the, the, the grants that funded my studies in the UK, the Welcome Trust Strategic Award for Medical Mycology and Fundamentology. It's been organized in a number of conferences. And the first conference that we attended in 2013 highlighted priority areas in mycology. Uh, one of the leading areas in medical mycology is training, having a training opportunity. If someone wants to advance in medical mycology, is there a program that they can enroll on? Um, where they have to go, is that locally or they have to move abroad? So that's why I went to the UK. But at the moment, for example, I'm happy to say that at Macquarie University, we're soon starting an MSc in medical mycology, which will be uh, a standard two-year program. And it will be the first of its kind in sub-Saharan Africa. So um, students from here will not have to travel um, further than, say, Uganda to at least be able to do this advanced degree in, in, in medical mycology. So training is one of the areas that people have to um, look out for. Other opportunities that also coming up are funding opportunities. Okay? Previously, medical mycology, unlike other infectious diseases, and it's still ongoing, so maybe I shouldn't use the previously, we should look at it as an area of improvement, is that medical mycology has less than 3% of infectious disease um, um, proportion and funding 
from major bodies like NIH, um, the UK, um, Welcome Trials, or the EU, EDCTPs. So it's it's an area that can also help people to advance or help uh, healthcare workers want to improve their understanding of medical microbiology. Let me take a step back to Beatrice. Thank you for that. So the, the new MSc yeah. in medical mycology, what would be uh, what would be the typical applicant to a program like that? What would be their background? Um, so we're, we're kind of making this very open in such a way that someone who has had a medical degree background, um, like biomedical sciences, or they've done a um, bachelor of science technology, or MBCHB, BS Nursing, B-Farm, BDS, or Bachelor of Radiology, or Molecular Biology are able to, to actually enroll onto this program. So someone with a background, with a medical background degree is welcome to join the MSc Medical Microbiology Program because we want as many experts as possible. Great. Well, that's great. And in terms yes. of the, 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 funding, the funding reality, as you mentioned, in terms of the only 3% of all funding going towards mycology. Um, have you seen yes. a trend uh, of a change in that? Have you seen uh, some signs that that is improving? Yes, I think um, the more we advocate, the more we send out our voices, um, the more available funds we're going to, to have. For example, I am a, at the moment, I am an early career researcher with um, ADCTP. And I do remember when I first applied, one of the comments that I got was that that was not a priority area, you know, that what they were funding because they were looking at HIV and related infections. So I wrote back and said, but fungal diseases and related infections and HIV. Um, but that time I wasn't successful. This second time I was taken on. So that shows that there's, there's a positive outlook in the area of funding in medical mycology. Secondly, I recently um, I participated in a survey. The WHO set out a survey for, you know, for priority funded applicants to be listed. And that, you know, was the first of its kind. We've been seeing a lot of um, other pathogens being looked at in terms of um, fights against antimicrobial resistance. So seeing that the WHO now has come up and listed some priority funded pathogens, we are seeing that as improvement in the way of um, more work and therefore more funding according to medical mycology. No, that, that's, uh, that's good to hear, actually. Um... That's very good to hear, Beatrice. And glad to know that there's some progress in this field and in yes. the area around supporting it from a financial perspective. Um, so yeah. from a timeline perspective, I guess putting together a master's program is not something that you get to do overnight. Um, this is something no. that I imagine <laughs> is still in the works. Um, do you have a, a yeah. general, is it, you assume that you'll be taking in your first entrance in the next few years? Is that the plan? Yes. Yes, we were actually hoping that we wouldn't be too late for this year, but we're already late because efforts or admissions have already been sent out. So I am really going to be um, working hard with my colleagues here to make sure that by the next entry, our students will be able to join. If we had a system which was, um, you know, having like maybe um, twice a year admission system like we had um, when I started in the UK because I went into the general admission. Maybe we would have planned for the second semester, but 
do not have that yet. So we'll aim for um, the next academic year, which is this guy next year. Great. That's great. Yes. So Beatrice, from a perspective of <clears throat> of newcomers, obviously this this type of degree would be very helpful. Um, can you let us know of some of the organizations or agencies that are out there? I'm thinking of uh, some some global bodies uh, that focus on mycology where people can get more information. Um, if I recall, um, I believe it's called Gaffy in particular. But if you can oh, maybe just yes. share, share some insights into some of these global organizations where people can can already sort of whet their appetite and, and get some better understanding and network in that field. Yeah, so um, there are a lot, there are a lot of um, resources which are coming up in, or maybe they've been out around and people have not been aware because of maybe less advocacy um, in medical mycology. So um, Gaffey that you mentioned is, the president of Gaffey is um, Professor David Denning who is also leading the leading international fungal education um, organization. So basically what happens with it, so GAFE is not only education, but also funding opportunities. And it's a very tight collaborator with this MSC Microbiology program because the Microbiology program was developed in collaboration with um, Manchester University, um, Professor David Denny. Um, who are offering this program and now are not going to be offering it. So um, we have Gaffey, we have LIFE, leading international fund education. There's a website, you can access it and get a lot of resources. Uh, we also have organizations or websites like Dr. Fungus, okay? If you, someone was interested in reading about fungus, if you just type Dr. Fungus, you'll find now a lot of literature there. There's also a lot of literature that comes from um, from um, Australia. It's the name of this university. Um, okay, I've, I've just just skipped my mind. But Ad also Adelaide, Adelaide, I believe it is. Yes, Adelaide. Okay, so when I go there, I also get a lot of nice resources um, that can actually literally keep you away from your uh, um, internet. I've been just. <laughs> having a very basic internet search, you could go to these very specific websites to get information. And we're also hoping that the MSC Microsoft program that we're designing, we're just going to put it up online, you know, so people can access and be able to um, register and, you know, be able to do this course online as well as come in person for the practical. Yeah, those are just a few, but we have yeah. a, a lot of resources I could put together for medical microbiology. And I think Beatrice, what we'll do for the benefit of the audience is we'll add some of the links to these uh, in our in our show notes. So uh, when they access the yeah. podcast, they can access some of these links directly. So sure, sure. Beatrice, Beatrice yeah. can you give us can you give us some advice? So if you were looking to to share some advice with people interested in the field, um, what would be your uh, your few words of wisdom that you'd have for them about about how to proceed, what to be following up with, uh, and what maybe they should be doing in the interim while they're waiting for for a program like yours to take off? Um, one thing I would say that has come, especially with the, with this um, very unfortunate pandemic is that we have had a lot of information come up online, okay? And actually I've just remembered, there's another ongoing, as we talk right now, there's an ongoing um, medical mycology course that's being run by France, okay? It's a MWOC, this was um, posted also online. So one thing I would say is that keep on the lookout on internet for a lot of resources that are there for medical mycology, 
I also do keep my contacts online. If anyone is interested, that's one area you know you could have an informal chat and I could point you in the direction and maybe watch you know something that you'd be interested in seeing in the area of medical microbiology or the lab profession um, generally. So this will be welcome. Great. Thank you. Well, that's great, Beatrice. So um, let's just get your thoughts also on the COVID situation. Um, and yeah. has there been, I, I presume there's been some studies in relation to COVID and mycology. Is that, a, is that a reality or has that been sort of a sidebar issue? Yeah, um, we read some papers um, from Uganda here. Um, a colleague tried to do some work in looking at, you know, what is, you know, the prevalence of stagelous infections representing with COVID-19 and how it's still affecting their treatment outcome. Unfortunately, when he checked, he actually said that he did not have, maybe because he did not find anyone that showed positivity um, um, to, uh, with aspergillus um, pneumonia as well as COVID-19. But he thinks it's because of the type of tests which he used with their cutoff value, because this was, he was looking at the serum of this or the serum of these patients, and maybe the cutoff value was, was too high, so we came out with what are called negative data. And this is what we had here in, in Uganda. Great. So, Beatrice, just to, um, so this is great. I appreciate the overview and the, and the, the detailed insights as well into the mycology space. Um, would you like to just leave us with some words in terms of uh, anyone you'd like to thank for the progress that you've made and the uh, and the advancement that you've came through to get to this stage? Oh, I I have a lot of people to thank. Um, beginning with yourself, who is who who found me on on LinkedIn. Um, I thought that was so cool because um, I always use my LinkedIn network, and this was you know to check what's going on, but. You know, to have someone contact me directly through LinkedIn, that was very exciting. And I find this, um, that makes, you know, our progress very special. Um, I have a lot of mentors, people who taught me from undergraduate to postgraduate, people who specifically introduced me to the field of medical microbiology professor and David Boyer from the University of Minnesota. I think he was the very first mentor I worked with a lot. And then when I went to the professor Neil, and who's the division of Exeter right now. Also, people who, you know, helped me a lot in my career progress from the NRES to, you know, completing the PhD and having other, you know, um, support during the program and, you know, making my my stay in the UK, my experience in the UK, you know, was excellent. Um, I'm pretty grateful to Professor Nilgao for that. And, I also thank um, Professor Deni for some of this program because it just feels like um, an extension of what I was doing, you know, having a chance to give back to the community and give back to the university world as I, I did in the UK. And at home here, there are lots of people. Um, Dr. Andrew Kamuku, who's executive director of the Infectious Disease Institute, and he's the one who made me aware of the the opportunity to go to the UK and within my own department, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful, Dr. Henry Kajunga, my head of department, and uh, and Dr. Professor Jorba Moses, who is my dean, and 
friends, colleagues, a good listen, you know, for the whole interview. <laughs> right, also, and I guess, Beatrice, a thank you to you as well for working on this, uh, this master's degree in medical mycology. Uh, putting that mm -hmm. together, I'm sure, is not a not a simple undertaking. So I think it's a uh, it's something that, as far we understand, is uh, will be will be well in need, and uh, and we'll certainly have quite a few people interested in in participating. So thank you for putting that together. Right. Uh, thank you very much thank for your time, you. Beatrice. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great to thank learn you. more about the the mycology field and yourself. And uh, we look you. forward thank to you. to to being in touch soon. And uh, and and one day, if you really want to test the cold, we'll have to bring you to Montreal in a January or February. <laughs> Uh, help, help you appreciate uh, what cold and winter. I, I would say I would say your colleagues in Minnesota uh, would tell you that if you went there in June, you should visit in January and February to appreciate the cold. But uh, it's a uh, it, it is a uh, it is certainly a big change from the temperature in Uganda. So, but thank you very much, Beaches, for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, we look mm -hmm. forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much, Robert. Yes, I look I look forward to experiencing the different cold and. Yeah, in Montreal compared to Scotland and Minnesota, <laughs> the Northeast England was just summer throughout for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. To make a suggestion of someone that would make a great guest or topic you would like to hear more about, please visit us at labop.org. That's L-A-B-O-P-P dot org.